this whole month we've been looking at the book of Ephesians. And does anyone have their bookmark with them? Hold it up, a couple of you. Okay, if you didn't get a bookmark or you lost it or something, there are some at the entrances on the way out today. Um, and we have just really worked on this month of growing spiritually. Don't forget, if you didn't memorize the scripture or maybe you've gotten a little late jump on it, that's okay. You can still memorize the scripture. All right, so go ahead and put that in a place that you can uh, continue to look at it and to meditate on it. Um, these were four scripture verses from Ephesians that we really felt were valuable in summing up the book. And so today we're going to end with a familiar passage. You've probably heard this passage before out of Ephesians 6, and I found this week a sort of new spin on uh, some background to this particular passage. So I want you to watch just as we begin to open this passage today. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, that you may be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. What a great mental illustration of the armor of God. And that's what we're going to talk about for a few minutes today. Now, growing stronger in our relationship with God will require us to walk through some trouble. And Pastor Don sort of mentioned that as he prayed today, that it will require us to face some obstacles and to face some trouble. Because when you become a child of God, you gain an enemy that you didn't have before. When you become a child of God, you gain an enemy that you didn't have before. And after you decide to live your life for Jesus, the enemy's goal is to foul you up. It's to, to have you lose that faith that is growing inside of you. We've been talking about growth rings. That's why we have these wood examples up here. And the enemy would want nothing more than to stunt your growth and to, to have you stop growing in your relationship with God. Now, you may have noticed over these past few weeks these wood circles have dried out. And Greg and Linda Paulding mentioned to me last week after service that these sort of wedges or these cracks reminded them of the times that sin can enter into our lives. The times that maybe we get tripped up on things. The times where maybe spiritual warfare takes its toll on our spiritual life. And I thought that was a really awesome illustration as they said that. The log ends are still holding. It, it is still uh, going to stay up there. It is still a, has growth rings in it. Things aren't completely falling apart, but wear and tear happens as time goes on. So Ephesians 6 reminds us that, yes, we will face trouble, but that we don't have to be a defenseless hockey puck at the mercy of Satan. 
That, that God has already supplied the protection that you need to ward off any and every attack in the spiritual realm. He promises that. And God never breaks a promise. And so today we're just going to look in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. And I just want to unpack this pretty much verse by verse. So let's start with Ephesians 6, 10 through 11. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. You know, I think oftentimes we, uh, spiritual warfare can become something that we talk about that creates a lot of fear. I don't know about you, but, but it can create sort of a, a lot of fear in us. The scripture actually never, ever tells us to fear spiritual warfare. In fact, it says never to fear the enemy. The scripture says 365 times to not fear. God was really getting his point across there. I usually need told a few times. And he knew that we would need to know that, there, that spiritual warfare is not something to fear. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about demons. One is to disbelieve their existence, but the other is to believe and feel an unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So here's the deal. We can sometimes give too much of our attention to the enemy. So we need to be careful. We can't ignore him completely. He's there. We need to deal with him. But we don't need to give him too much attention because he's already defeated. He's already, we, we have the victory. So we don't need to spend too much time talking or thinking about that. But what I do want to focus on today is how we can face the warfare that we're going to experience. You know, I think sometimes we can create spiritual warfare to be this sort of like mystical type experience um, that when others hear us talking about it, they think we're weird, okay? Like they just think that's really kind of weird or a little wacky, you know, because we can kind of have, have these sort of just interesting ways of describing it. And, and oftentimes you may have had a personal experience of spiritual warfare. You may know someone who has. You may have watched a movie or read a book that alluded to it. And we can't speak specifically to everyone's experience, but what I want to do today is look to the Word of God and just strictly look what the Word of God says about it. Does that sound good? So we're going to look into the authority and the truth of the Word of God, and this is what it says about spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, 12, it continues. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The best illustration I've ever heard about spiritual warfare came from a man named Neil Anderson. He's an author, and he says it like this. Imagine that you are standing at one end of a long, narrow street, and on either side of the street are just two-story houses on both sides. Okay, y'all got it in your mind? You're on the long, narrow street, there's houses on both sides, two-story, and at the other end of the street stands Jesus and your Christian life is walking down the street. It's walking toward Jesus. It's trying to be more like Jesus. And you are walking straight down the street to Jesus. And there's nothing that will keep you from reaching Jesus. There are no obstacles in the street. There are no potholes. There are no um, construction places. There's nothing in the street that keeps you from getting there. You can walk straight to him. And when you receive Christ, you fix your eyes on him and you start walking. But since we live in a world that is still under the curse of sin, 
and still under the dominion of Satan, the row houses on either side are inhabited by beings who are committed to keep you from reaching your goal. That's their sole purpose, is that they're in the doors of the house and they're in the windows of the house and they are standing on the the sides of the house and they are just yelling things out to you. They have no authority to block you. (laughs) They have no authority to slow your step. They, they, have, they cannot come out of the house because Jesus is the authority and he draws the line. But they are there and they're yelling out and they're trying to take your attention from your goal. They try to disrupt your progress. They try to stop your growth. Now, I believe that the enemy never comes up with anything new. He, he's full of old tricks. He's full of old tricks. He is not the creator. He, he did not make anything And so he is going to use the same snares in my life at times that he's going to use in yours. He's going to bring things back up in your life that you had problems with before because he knows it worked before. And so he never comes up with anything new. And so I just want to talk really briefly about some things, some typical access points that the enemy uses to get into the cracks of our life. We see that example there. What are some things that the enemy does? And I believe that I can, I can talk about these things because the enemy does the same old tricks that many of us, as we talk about it, are going to go, yeah, I, I hear that too. That, that trips me up also. So I think the first thing that along the road that the enemy is just yelling from the second floor window is that you can't ever change. You know, often our families perhaps have long histories of, of certain patterns of sin. Maybe your mom was depressed and your grandma was depressed and your great-grandma was depressed and there's no way that you are never going to be depressed. Maybe it's anxiety. My family, so many people say to me, my family is always all of anxiety. It just runs in my family. Maybe it's, um, perhaps it's divorce. Maybe you've totally given up on the fact that you will have a successful marriage because everyone that you know in your family has gotten divorced. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's hatred. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's inferiority. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's alcoholism. Just things that that are patterns of behavior. And when we watch these things, sometimes all of our life, we think there's no way out. I can never be different. I'll never change. I'll never beat this. And this is exactly what the enemy wants you to hear and believe. Because you'll just stop right there in the middle of the road. Right in front of the house where the guy's calling out your name. That you're never going to change. You're never going to change. You're never going to change. And even though freedom is just in one step, you feel so bound by that voice that is just yelling out to you. When this happens... Ask God about these patterns. Say to the Lord, is this true? Is this true that I will have anxiety all my life because someone else did? Ask the Lord those things, and and he will begin to show you that he put a gap between the past and the present with the cross. And that you can change. That you can be different with his help. And then repent and renounce and rebuke and put your head down and tell the enemy to shush, (laughs) stop, stop talking because that is not true. And I will not believe that anymore. Second, we talked about this today too. You will hear voices from those houses that say there's something better. 
hey, look over here. I've got something you really want. Your wife isn't that good to you, but this girl, she really would be good. She would never, ever forget to iron your shirt. (laughs) The enemy will say things like, this tastes good, this feels good. Yeah, okay, so maybe the people, my friends at church wouldn't be so okay with me doing this, but they'll never know because this feels good. This somehow makes me feel more of, a, more of a person. This somehow gives me this freedom. It's more fun than walking down the street. And this is called temptation. I have something better, the voices yell out. But the enemy is a liar. And he can never, ever tell the truth. So do not be tricked by that tactic. He's like the creepy guy in the white van offering the candy. No, it might look good, but it is not good. And we can continue to walk down the road that God is asking us to go. The third, I don't feel like I belong. I believe the other things that these beings yell out from the windows of the houses are, you don't need to go to church today. Just watch it online. People there won't miss you, even if you don't go. People hurt you in that church. You deserve a break. They said something that kind of offended me. That preacher talked about a guy in a van, and I own a van, and I'm offended. (laughs) And and we begin to have these moments where we, we hear it. You deserve to be upset. You have the right to be upset. You have the right to not go back there. And we have these wounds that become places that the enemy uses to manipulate us and torture us through. And we are weak where our hearts are critically wounded. Now, I know I'm being funny, but I know that many of you have been legitimately hurt by other people, even sitting in these rows. I know that. And I'm not making a joke about that. But what I want you to hear me say is this. That the enemy will use that wound to tell you things that aren't true. Because he wants you out of fellowship. He wants you out of prayer. He wants you out of the word. He wants you out of the experience that we just had here this morning. He wants you home on the couch in your pajamas on Sunday morning. And he wants to convince you that no one can be trusted. That because that happened before, that's going to happen again. And he wants you to become not vulnerable. And he wants you to think that no one really cares about you. But the enemy can only lie. And he can only tell you what is not true. And therefore, if you can identify the voice of the enemy, then you can literally turn it inside out and upside down in the opposite of it. And you can know the truth. If you can identify what the enemy is saying and take the exact opposite of it, then you will know the truth of God. So when he says you can't ever change, you better believe there's a way out. That there is grace and there is favor and there is purpose in your life. And you are not stuck and you are not trapped. And God is the God of exits. And he knows that if he gets you to actually believe that, he is in trouble. Because you're just going to keep growing and moving in the direction that God wants you to go. He knows that when you hear there's something better, this is better, then you have to know the opposite is true, that Jesus is the most fulfilling, perfect, sovereign God of the universe, and nothing, no thing can possibly satisfy us more than he can. 
and that he knows best. I like when you clap. That's all right. All right. Because it's not, you're not clapping for me. You're clapping for the God who I'm talking about. All right. And he knows best and his consecrating love, which we talked about last week, is set out to keep us safe and fulfilled. So there's nothing better than the love of Jesus. Now, I want you to really listen closely to this one because, because I prophetically hear the chains falling off of our church when we begin to replace this lie. Okay, are you ready? When the enemy says to you, you don't belong. When the enemy says that, that no one cares, that you aren't appreciated, that you aren't loved, that your offense can hold up in God's court, that what happened to you is, is wrong and justified. When the enemy can persuade you into thinking that, that you don't need church and that you don't need other believers and that this is a waste of time and that you're not getting out of anything out of it anymore so you can stop going, then you can stand on this truth because it's the very opposite of what the enemy is saying, that we need each other, Amen. that God can be trusted that he is faithful and he is good and he is true and that people love you here and people want you to be here and you are a valuable part of this church in the body of Christ and it's not about you getting something out of it. It's about you putting something into it. That's what it's about. <laughs> so Jesus, mature us to the place of an unoffendable heart. Get us to the place where we can say, God, you are asking me to be there because I'm going to, to, to be part of what this church is doing because, Lord, you are, are worthy to be praised every single week. Now, the enemy's goal in having those demons in those houses to taunt you and jeer you and lure you and question you is to stunt your growth. And he wants you to slow down. He wants you to stop. He wants you to sit down. He, wa he, he wants you to order a Starbucks and just sit there for a little while and think about what to do and have a little pity party for ourselves often. He wants to influence you to doubt your ability to believe and to serve God. But remember, he has absolutely no power or authority to keep you from progressing in your walk toward Jesus. He can never again own you after you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You are forever in him. So remind him that. This is the truth. And when he convinces you that, that you cannot do that, then you know it is a lie. Proverbs 4.25 has this whole new meaning to me after thinking through this word picture of spiritual warfare. Let me read it to you. It says, Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left and keep your foot from evil. Stay forward. Don't pay attention to the temptations, the accusations, the voices that are trying to distract you. The Assyrians had Israel captive for a long time in the Old Testament because they refused to listen and repent and return to God. And I believe that so many of us can sit in church for years and not allow God to set us free because we simply will not listen and close the doors of free access to the enemy. The reality of our struggle as believers is that we come against rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces. That's what the scripture says. We're going to talk about what the word of God says, and that's what it says. But I want to read to you another reality. 
This is an equal truth. If you believed what we just talked about, then you have to believe this. Ephesians 6.13. We only do one verse. Here's the next verse. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. This verse tells us that we have everything we need to stand strong when those moments happened. That we are equipped, we are protected, that, that we have all the authority because God gave it to us. Done deal. No questions asked, no exceptions, no fine print, that the word of God is true and right, and this is what it says. However, this strikes me, that our role is not passive, that God asks us to be active participants in the spiritual defense that he has provided for us. I just look at, just look at the verbs alone in this passage. It says, be strong, put on the full armor of God, take up the full armor of God, Resist in the evil day. Verse 13, after you have done everything to stand firm. These are verbs. These are action words. This is implying you have to get up and do something. That is what this is saying. And, and you may ask yourself, I know I did. Well, if I'm secure and protected in Christ, why do I have to actively get involved? Why can't I just kind of sit down and let God rest you know, beckon that like angels come and just be over me and I'll just lay here in the, like a tanning bed, you know, and just let God like protect me. And like, why all this work to stand firm? Why all these actions? Why all of these action verbs? Well, let's, let's put it in context. And I've got an expert on the front row here, my friend Bobby. So I'm asking you some questions. So our country's a major military power, right? He says yes. I get an amen about that, all right? So we have these extremely advanced tanks and planes and missiles and ships. Yes. Yet, if you were to enlist a soldier, he's a recruiter, so he knows this stuff. What would you teach him how to do? Would he wear a helmet? Would you teach him how to put on all his gear? Would you, would you teach him how to shoot the gun? Or just let it fly. All right. You teach him how to shoot it. Good. You know, it might be more comfortable for, for, for him to stay at camp and let the planes and the drones and the tanks do the fighting because they can see in the dark and, and know where to go. But you're a soldier. And soldiers prepare to fight. That's what soldiers do. They prepare to fight the battle. And God is our commanding officer And as believers, he has prepared a winning strategy. But he has designed effective weapons for us, but we must stay on active duty. We must stay on active duty because we're soldiers. And Satan is a bully. And the only way to get rid of a bully is to confront him. Ask any mom in the room. They've given that lecture to their kid, I'm sure. And the only way to confront him is in the name of Jesus and by the power of his Holy Spirit. But we must do it with the, we- the, the weapons that God has given us. So how do we show up to fight? I'm glad you asked because in verse 14, it addresses that. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. I love how this describes a full body armor. Because no matter if the attack comes from the sky or the ground or the side or the front, we're covered. And that's what the Lord is showing us in this particular passage. That when we put on the armor of God, that we are really putting on Christ. We talked in the very first week about how we uh, exchange our identity for Christ's identity. We become believers in Jesus, that we sit in Jesus' chair, and Jesus sits in ours. That that is what God did for us, that, that he traded places with us. And so when we face spiritual warfare, we have the same privilege. And Paul is breaking down in Ephesians how you literally put on Christ. And the enemy has nothing in Christ. You have it all. No wonder he says, do not fear. Because to the extent we put on Christ, the evil one cannot touch us. He can only touch that which is on his level. He can only touch that which is on his level. And and you know what? If you are a believer in Jesus, you are not on his level. You are above him and you are in victory through Jesus. You don't belong on his level. So, so it's like saying, don't live on Satan's level. Get off my level instead of get on. Because I, I, I am in victory. And I don't have to live in that level because I'm in victory. And, and you are totally above him. The road is straight and there's no roadblocks to get to Jesus. So just to close here, I, I want to uh, briefly break down the armor of God. And then we're going to end with just an awesome um, experience from the Abundant Life Dance team. I'm so excited for you guys to be encouraged by it. So first it says the belt of truth. Uh, Jesus calls himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the belt, the harness, held all the weapons, held the armor together. And for the believer, truth holds our spiritual armor together. I did some research on this, and it's actually... um, the symbolic clothing of what the Messiah wore. And in Isaiah 11, which is where the writer is prophetically describing Jesus, verse 5 says, Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. He's saying, just like Jesus, we can put on the belt of truth because character, not force, always wins the battle. And the truth is what God gives us so that we can tell what the devil's lies are. So put on the truth so that you know what, what you can believe. You know what's true and you know what's not true. Next, the breastplate of righteousness. This is the suit of armor. This is the thing that guards the soldier's heart and other really important organs. And without a solid breastplate, a soldier would easily be killed with one arrow. But this thing guards all of the important things, all of the treasures. The enemy hates all things that are right, or sinless. But what the breastplate of righteousness is, is when we are believers in Jesus, he puts his breastplate of righteousness over us, and he can, cannot declare us unrighteous. God cannot see us as unrighteous, because Jesus covers that for us. When God looks at us, he sees what his perfect son did for us. Next, the footwear of the gospel of peace. The Bible says that you should wear the good news of peace to give you sure footing. I think it, it's kind of strange um, that peace is needed for war. 
But what this is saying is that this is peace that's inside of us that helps us lack fear, that, that has us show up to the battle with courage. It's peace that, that is never robbed from us, even though the enemy's trying to place doubts in our mind, that we can remain firmly planted in the peace that Jesus gives us. Next, the shield of faith. Now, the shield is a defensive weapon. It's the thing you hold up so that when the, when the arrows come, you can shield them from yourself. Many of you have played video games with the shield. We'll just call that practice. All right. But in other words, you don't hit the enemy with your shield. You hold it up so the enemy can't get you. The shield protects you from the enemy's attacks. And just the same, the Bible says that our shield of faith can put the flaming arrows that the devil fires at us out. It can protect us from that. So the faith that you're building, the faith that you're working toward, will protect you from the attacks of the enemy. The helmet of salvation. The helmet protects your head. Protects your mind. It protects your head from a crushing blow, from the thing that could cause you spiritual spiral, and that's salvation. It is, it is being saved from death and separation from God. And the only way for us to have salvation is by placing our trust in Jesus' payment for our sins on the cross. And then the last one is the sword of the Spirit. And this is the offensive weapon. So the shield defends us from the enemy's attacks, but the, the sword of the Spirit is offensive. It lets us go after the enemy. And it says that the soldier uses it to strike his enemy, and the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And that's why we need it in our hearts. That's why we need to memorize it. That's why we need to dwell on it. That's why we need it to be part of all of the things that we do and say and, and, and look at because it's the weapon of spiritual warfare. And the scripture says that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. That God has equipped us for the battle. He has given us all we need to fight to win. And that there is victory over spiritual battles today. So I'm going to invite the, the dance team up here. And as they get ready... Um, I'm going to pray for us. And I really want you to, as they, as they do this song, to really watch, but also have a moment between you and the Lord of what battles you're fighting right now and that you could stand in victory of them. So let me pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you so much for today. God, I thank you that um, you have already done so much in our spirits, God. I thank you for the worship time. I thank you that the word of God goes before us and even in its, in its simple message sometimes, God, that it can bring so much hope and so much encouragement, God, because you have, have given us all the weapons we need to fight the attacks of the enemy. God, I pray that we could look straight down the road at you and when those voices start yelling from either side, God, that we could remember that the enemy only lies and that you would show us the truth. And as we stand on the truth, God, that you would move us further and faster toward a relationship with you that is alive and growing and changing. God, we are waging war today against the enemy. God, because we have the weapons and the tools that you have given us and we're taking ground back for your glory. And so, God, as we see this, this song and this dance in these next few minutes, I pray that we would prophetically stand with you. Lord, that we would stand with you and say that we're taking back the things that the enemy has, has taken from us over the years. 
God, as a church, as families, as people, God, that we're taking that back, that, that we know we are equipped in the name of Jesus, and we know that we have the victory. And so, God, we declare that today in great strength, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Like never before, we're waging war. Anoint my head, oh, yeah. anoint my feet. Celebrate your reigning now. Here on the battleground, for your glory, for your glory. We're taking, we're taking territory, fighting unseen enemies. Like never like before, before, we're waging war. Tired of the principalities messing with me. Waging war. Tired of the devil stealing from me.
Thank you. Thank you so much. Now go in the power and the name of Jesus, and we'll see you back here next week. Have a great week.